What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Happy to be here? I'm happy to be here. Feeling a little bit behind from this weekend. I mean, it was first conference. It was pretty crazy for me. I mean, you guys were getting down. It was fun. Had a hard time keeping up. Had a hard time staying awake. But it was great. Met so many people. Just seeing the vision of God's heart and, and the Salt Network's heart to reach the nations, whether it's globally or locally with church playing, which is so much fun. And as you guys, maybe if y'all stop by the booth, y'all saw we've kind of narrowed it down to five places. And I got some news for you. Are you ready? We're going to take our last three trips at the end of the month to figure out where we're going to go. Oh, he did that. I know. I don't know yet. I want to know. I want to know more than you want to know. I promise you. We got three trips coming up at the end. And if you want to get in on some of that information, you could follow us. We created a group me just to kind of spit out some great information about what we're doing and where we're going to be. If you're not following us on Instagram, you should because it's awesome. But uh, the group me is called uh, Salt Plant 2021. Maybe you have a friend next to you that can help just kind of scan you in add you in. It's a great opportunity to kind of hear from us what we're going to be talking about, because we're going to have some events coming up in the next couple of weeks that are just come to get to know me, the family, Nate, and then also just talking about what the possible future could entail. Um, we're going to have a crawfish bowl in May. Y'all know what that is, but it's amazing, and you're going to want to be there. And if you're not in the group me, you can't go, all right? So you're going to be at the group me. Get in the group. You want to be in the group me. You want to go. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here with you guys, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, but before we go into Ephesians 3 and start in verse 14, you can turn there. While you're turning there, I just have one question for you. If you could ask God to do one thing for you right now, what would you ask him, right? If you, if you knew he was going to give it to you without a doubt, like it's a, it's a yes is on the table, it's just like, hey, he's a, he, you're Aladdin, he's the genie, all of a sudden you're like, hey, What's your wish? And you have one wish, one thing you would ask God to do just for you, what would that thing be? Write it down right now. I want you to think about it. Just write it down immediately. First thing that comes to your mind, okay? First thing that comes to your mind, what is that thing? You know, is it something, is it a job, is it money, is it a spouse, is it whatever that thing is, write that thing down, all right? Let me give you another second. All right, if you're not done, it's your problem. We're gonna go. All right, so here's the, here's the question I have for you about the thing that you wrote. Will that thing matter in five years? Will it matter in 20 years? Is it gonna make a difference in 50 years? Will it be important in 100 years? Will it be important in 1,000 years? I'm asking you this question, and it's not just a Jesus trap question. But I think what it does is that last question, it reveals to us that we spend way too much thinking about things that aren't that really important. And the things we find value in, they're really not leading us where we wanna go. Because honestly, if you got that thing right now, whatever that thing is that you wrote down, I promise you would ask for something else. Because you've asked God, if you look back at your own junior high and high school journals, maybe your college journals, and you see the things that you asked God for, did that end all your requests? No, you kept asking for things over and over and over and over and over again. And tonight, guys, we're going to be looking at Paul, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. And, and what, what this prayer was so amazing about it is it's a prayer that all of us should pray for ourselves. And we'd be thankful that this would be the prayer that he's praying for us. Like when we read through this, this is the best thing he could pray for us and should be the thing that we have written down to say, this is what we want to be about. This is the thing I should be asking God for. And so look at verse 14. We're going to jump right into it. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. 
I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. See, Paul starts out this prayer, he says, for this reason. And, and what you have to understand is when he says that, we're at a split in the book right now. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about how God has drawn us close to himself and how God has reconciled the brokenness between us and one another and us and him and has reconciled us to himself. Even though we were dead in our sins, he's made us alive in Christ. And in, and in that sense right there, he's saying because of this thing, this amazing, magnificent thing that has happened in our life, like could you imagine anything better happening in your life? He said, because of this amazing thing, I bow my knee and every time I talk to God, I pray this for you. This is the thing that I request. Think, look at his posture. He gets on his knees when he's praying for them. Have you ever gotten on your knees to pray for somebody? Probably not. But if you did, think about your heart posture at that much. He is, and this is the thing that Paul wants us to understand, is that he, this is a posture of desperation. He's like, I desperately want you to understand this. I desperately know this is the thing, that you would experience God in a real transformational way. That is what Paul wants us to see tonight. That is Paul's prayer for us. That is the thing that we should have written down that says, if I could ask God for anything, is that I would experience him in a real transformational way. And not just the moment of your conversion, right? Where God brought you over from death to life. Not just the beginning of your faith journey, but continuously, see? Like Paul is not trying to give us a better understanding of that. And he talks about knowing God, it's not just a better understanding of knowledge about him, but that we would actually take hold of who God is and we'd actually have a greater understanding of who he is and walk in greater intimacy and relationship with him. Paul is not, you know what he doesn't pray for? He doesn't pray for a change in their circumstance. And he's not praying for a change in your circumstance either. He's not praying for your health, your wealth, or your prosperity. He's not praying for you to get an A on your test. He's praying for you guys to have a more influential relationship with Jesus that would bring you to a greater depth that you would experience the fullness of Christ and that love would reign in your life in such a way that it would, be tra it would transform you to the very essence of who you are. Now, just let me just say it for a second. When you hear that, doesn't your heart just beat a little bit faster? Is there just a little bit of you that goes, yes, I want that, because that's better than everything else around here. That's better than anything else that I've written down. Yeah, I would rather have a relationship, a deep, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. I wanna know him more. I want him to be all that I see. I, that last song we sang, I want that to be reality for me, that you're just in my face. I'm just deep in your love. See, as we look at this prayer, guys, I want us to see, because within this prayer, as he's praying, hey, I want you to know the fullness of God. He says two things. He prays two specific things. And I think if we grasp them, if we understood them, our lives would look utterly different. We wouldn't wrestle with complacency. 
We wouldn't chase after things that don't matter. We would experience the abundance of life that, God, that Jesus has called us to. Right? When Jesus came, he said, hey, I came to bring life and life abundantly. So let's look at verse 16 as he says. He says, first, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. This is what Paul's telling us right here. He says, we experience the indwelling power of God by working on the inner man, not the outer man. That's what we need to understand from what Paul's praying for us, is that if we're gonna experience the indwelling power of God, the transformational power of God, we need to concentrate on the inner man, not the outer man, right? This would never be a prayer that the world would have for you. The world would never have this prayer for you. The world would talk to you about, hey, how are you being impressive, right? What's your resume look like? And our resume is not just a piece of paper. It's everything we put out in front of people, right? When you look at, and that's what the world talks about. What is your appearance? What does the elder man look like? When you look at commercials, Instagram, TV shows, schools, your school even, your parents, what are they telling you that's important? So much of it is wrapped about how you appear, your first step, being impressive. Very little of it has to do with your character, your convictions, your integrity. But it's pushing you to be more impressive and to appear more impressive. Even in tests in school. Listen to me. Did you study this week so that you would learn that material or did you study so that you would pass the test? Be honest. If you're like me, this is what studying looks like in your life in college. The night before, you cram as much of that information in your brain, and you pray to God that you only study to memorize the stuff that's on the test, and then you vomit it onto that paper the next morning, and you forget everything you've just written down, right? What are we doing there? We're not trying to grow as intellectuals. We're trying to get a grade, so that we have a GPA number, so we can look at a boss one day and say, hey, I had this GPA number. I'm a good student. I'm smart. I learned my stuff. But they know you're full of it. You know why? Because every job you join out, they have like six months of training because they know for the last four years you've been doing that. You'll figure that out. Like, wait, I got six months, three months of training that I have to go through before I get a job. Yeah, that's right. Some of you, it's a year. You have four years of college. So it's a year of training. What is that? It's just putting on a show. It's trying to look as good as we possibly can so we can get the best job. And this even bleeds into how we follow Jesus, right? How many times are you in a connection group and at time, it comes to that moment where you start confessing sin to one another, but you're sitting there, you're waiting, and you know what you're waiting on, right? You're waiting on who's gonna go first and how, how deep are they gonna go because I wanna be right around that range. How honest are they gonna be because that's where I wanna be maybe 5% less honest or 5% more honest than them, right? Why do you do that? You do that because you care about what the people around you think more than being obedient to God and what he's called you to do to confess your sins to one another. That's why we do that. And it's not just you, it's me. Right now, one of the greatest temptations in my life and my faith walk is that I want you to like me. I'm more concerned that you're going to like me than if I'm being obedient to Christ sometimes. I'm more concerned to think, 
Do you think I'm a good leader? Then am I being actually a good follower of Christ? I'm more concerned about being impressive instead of being impressed by Jesus and being humble before him. It's not just you. Why? Because I want you to go on a church plan with me. Because I want you to follow my leadership. Because I want all those things. Like, why? And here's the reality. If we focus on the outer man and neglect the inner man, you're going to become a hollow man. It's so easy to care, guys. It's so easy to care about appearance and forget about substance. And when you do that, you shipwreck yourself. Because what will happen is you'll be able to posture yourself in such a way that you will put yourself in a place that your character won't be able to carry you. We see this over and over and over again in our world, right? Like, anybody know who Tiger Woods is? All right, good. Okay, three hands raised. Good deal. <laughs> Probably was one of the best golfers of all times, all right? In fact, there was a time where he seemed unstoppable. Like, he was going to just crush the Masters year after year after year. He was going to win every major. No one was going to be able to keep up with him. And at the point where he's kind of at the pinnacle of his game, the height of his game, what happened? His world blew up because he had a moral failure. His family fell apart. His confidence fell apart. His game fell apart. Everything fell apart. This happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. See, my fear for you and my fear for myself is, is that I will care too much about the outer man and not enough about the inner man, the inner being that God is creating in me. And my talents and giftings and who I am will take me to a place that my, my character won't go. And I'll be exposed for the fraud that I am. That's my fear. I don't want to be a hollow man, and I don't want you to be hollow either because joy isn't found in that. Instead, what Paul says here is he says, give attention to growing the inner person. And he, he says it in a very specific way. We're gonna get really wordy with these couple of verses because they're just so rich. And he's strengthened by the, he says what? That we give ourselves and grow in the inner person by the strength of the Holy Spirit. He says, I pray that you may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit. The inner being, guys, is your character. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's the thing that makes you you, Right? And what Paul's not saying is that you need to be a better person or a more moral person. What he's saying is this, is that you need to be a more godly person. That you should reflect the character and values of God in your life over and over and over again. Not that you just be a better rule keeper. And, and this isn't done by your effort or your discipline. It's done by the power that's been granted to you as you submit to the Holy Spirit in your life and it's leading in your life. And that power is strength that is given according to, check this out, I want you to just circle that word according in your Bible if you got it out. It says, according to the riches of his glory. You need to understand the, the importance of that word. Because Paul could have said he's given from the riches, but he says according to. And when he says, when something's from, it means it's taken a little bit of it and given a little bit to somebody. But when it's according to the riches that God has given us, the strength through the Holy Spirit, according to God's riches, it means in fullness, an absolute fullness, that God didn't hold back a single thing when he gave you the Holy Spirit. And he's not holding back a single thing in front of you right now. In fact, he's saying, take it all. We're not lacking. And we can have confidence because he's given us the Holy Spirit. You may not know what the Holy Spirit is, but this is what it is. It's an active, resident, present, 
the presence of God within a believer. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things in a believer's life, but what it does is this. One of the major things it does is this, is it teaches them and enables a believer to live as a Christian, that it convicts us, it encourages us, and it helps us understand the word of God. It gives guidance and direction. In other words, what the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life, one of the things it does is it teaches us how to live like who we are. It teaches us how to live like who Jesus says we are. And for some of us, that's difficult to understand because you're like, I follow Christ, but my life, I'm hiding all the things that are inside of me because it's a mess. And you're like, Ernie, how can that be? What you need to understand is this. It's not that you're lost, but you need to understand this, is that when you became a follower of Christ, God justified you before the Lord. He justified you by placing your sin on Jesus and God punished your sin in that person. In other words, Jesus got your rap sheet and you have his. And so when God the Father looks at you, he sees the, perfection, the perfect work of Christ and, it, and then accredits to you, accredits to you righteousness and says you're a new creation. The problem is this, is that you still live in your fallen body in a fallen world in the presence of sin. And temptation is all around you. There's going to be a moment, though, where you're not going to live in the presence of sin anymore. You'll be free from the penalty and the presence of sin. And it's in heaven. But until that moment, God has given us a Holy Spirit as a deposit to a believer, as a promise that God is not done with you, that he's continually working in your life and working on behalf to teach you what it looks like to walk godly. And what we must do is we must cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. You're like, Ernie, how do I do that? How does that happen? What do I do? How does that happen? It happens like this, guys, by turning up the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm gonna say it again. You wanna know how you follow the Holy Spirit is you need to turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is not not doing its job. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's convicting you of sin. It's encouraging you. It's giving you direction. It's telling you who you should talk to and how you should live. It's, it's saying those things to you. But here's the issue, is that we have made the Holy Spirit white noise in our life and we've forgotten the sound of the Holy Spirit. And so how you turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life is very simple. It's very simple. It's not, it's not this crazy thing. All it is is this. It's talking to God in prayer. It's reading and obeying your, the word of God. It's confessing sin to him and to one another. There's a fancy word we use in scripture for that. It's called abiding in Christ, that we remain in Christ, that we follow Jesus, that we spend time with him. And in this passage, Paul is telling us, he's telling us that to come to him and that what, he, what we need to do is not start a relationship with Jesus. He's talking to the Ephesians. They already have a relationship with Jesus. He's saying you need to foster a relationship with Jesus. See, there's a difference between being in relationship with somebody and having a relationship with somebody. Some of y'all experience that. You have, you have a father. You have a relationship with your dad, but you're not in relationship with him. You don't talk to him. He's there. And for many of us in this room, that's what our relationship with God is like. He's our father, but we don't talk to him and we don't let him speak into our life and we don't trust him and we don't follow him and we don't pursue relationship with him. And we wonder why, guys, that we don't experience the fullness of God. 
we wonder why God seems so absent from our daily life and so far away and not active in our life and disconnected. It's not that God has left you or not pursued you. It's that you have not listened to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. And the result is this, though. When you do that, the result is that Christ, Paul says right here, he says that, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Is that, is in, in, in a better translation of this would be that God would make himself at home in your heart. Paul, again, is not looking at a bunch of believers and saying, hey, you need to ask Jesus into your life. He's saying, no, 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 Jesus already made a home in your life, but is he at home in your life? Because there's a difference between having a home and being at home in a place, right? When you move to your dorm, first week of school, did it feel like home? Or your new apartment? No, it felt odd. We moved a bunch of times. It always feels weird. I always feel like I'm sleeping in somebody else's house. I'm waiting for them to come back in and yell at me, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I bought this place, or so I thought. Maybe I didn't, I don't know. But as you spend time in there, it's like, it's an odd place because there's weird sounds. The, the walls are different color. Everything's in boxes. It, it, it's our home, but it doesn't feel like home. And there's no evidence that it is home. But if you show up to my house now, after I've been there for a couple of months, it's hard for me to deny that I live there. Because they're like, uh, there's a picture of you and your kid. Nope, not my house. Yeah, it's all over the place. My underwear's there. Everything's there, okay? Like, it's all there. It's all out. Like, you can't miss it. Because that home has been a place that I've made a home, and the evidence of it is all around. Here's the question I have for you, Christians. Listen to me. Listen to me. If we were to get a window look into your heart, into your life, would we see that Jesus is at home in that place? We would we see the evidence of Jesus at work in your life, not just not just the outward expe- like expression of what you do, but if we saw if we were able to look into your heart, would we see the would think about the meditations of your heart, your character, the things that you treasure? Would it be like as if Jesus was living there at this moment, or would it be like he's just renting there? Jesus doesn't want to be your neighbor. He doesn't want to hang out the Airbnb of your heart. He wants to move in and take control and transform it from the inside out. Complete control and take control completely of your life. That's what Jesus wants to do. And then Paul says in the second prayer, he says, this gives us even further clarity. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh my goodness, what an incredible sentence, huh? Let me hear that. What an amazing sentence. The length, the width, the height of God's love that would know the uncomprehendable. See, this is what we need to see right here is that we experience the fullness of God by staying rooted in God's love together. If we're gonna experience the fullness of God, because what does it say at the end? It's, I want you to say, so you may f- be filled with the fullness of God. That's what Paul wants for us, is for us to be filled with the fullness of God. And if we're gonna be filled with the fullness of God, we have to stay rooted in God's love together. What does it mean to be rooted in God's love? Is he saying that we need to hug each other more often, that we need to take the command of a holy kiss more like literal, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss? Is that what he's saying? Some of the guys are like looking at some girls and they're like, I'm okay with that, you know? 
But you're like, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. You haven't showered. Go do that. Then maybe we talk. No, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that we need to be more emotionally affectionate to one another. He's praying that we would find our root, our anchor, our nourishment, our health in a specific kind of environment, an environment characterized by two kinds of love, the love of God and the love of one another. See, what, you have, what I said earlier is this prayer falls right in the middle of the book of Ephesians. And what you see in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is Paul talking about, yes, how God has drawn us to him, but it's really pointing towards our vertical relationship and our vertical love with God. And then in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he's going to say, since you've, therefore, since you've been called, go there and walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called. And so for the next three chapters, he's gonna talk about our vertical relationships and how the, vert, I mean, excuse me, horizontal relationships are affected by our vertical relationship with God and love. And in, in which Paul, what he's doing here in this prayer, this prayer which bridges the gap between the two, he, he's, he's putting flesh on the bones of something Jesus has said called the great, the great, great commandment. In Mark 12, somebody asked him, hey, what's, what's the most important law? And Jesus said, to love your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and all your strength. And they gave him a bonus when he says, the second one is this, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Paul's saying there's something connected between the way that we love God, we must love one another, and that loving God is not an individualistic thing, but it's a corporate thing. Every time you see the word you in this prayer, it's the plural. So if you're from the South, you would say y'all, okay? And if you're from the Midwest, you'd say, you guys, or you all. I don't know what else y'all would say. Maybe one of those things. But every time it's you all, you guys, whatever. But that the Christian life was never meant to be lived inter, like independently, but interdependent and rooted together. And when I think about this idea of being rooted together or being established, that, and Paul's saying this, you have been rooted, but continue to be rooted. When I think about that idea, I think about two kinds of trees. And the first tree I think about is like a water oak. None of you know what that is. A water oak is a tree that for some reason, 50 years ago, every developer in Baton Rouge just planted them at every house they built. And they did it because they would grow really, really fast. And when you live in South Louisiana, it's 105 degrees, like nine months out of the year. With 100% humidity, you want some shade, okay? So they planted these trees all over the place. The problem is though, they're 50 years old now, they've grown really fast, and what the problem with these trees are is that they don't grow great root systems. They grow down about 15 feet, 10 feet, and they grow out about 10 feet, but they'll get to like 100 feet high and so wide that three of us couldn't hold hands and like be around this tree. And now you have all these 50 foot like trees, 100 foot trees in Baton Rouge, and what happens is hurricanes happen all the time in Baton Rouge. And then the water just soaks, so the rain comes and it soaks the ground, and then the wind comes and blows them over. And I've spent so many hurricanes just sitting outside watching a tree just go like this. And I'm like, fall, 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 don't fall, fall, don't fall, 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 don't fall, 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 like just hoping it falls towards the street, not in my house. And this is kind of what happens typically, right? Is that a tree just completely destroys a home. And I think this is a picture, guys, for many of us, when we don't root ourselves in God's love, this is what our life and community looks like, that we cause giant messes. But the other tree I think about is this, is a tree called the redwoods. You know, you ever heard of the redwood tree, the redwood forest? Incredible trees, they grow up to be like 400 feet high, 
and they have these incredible root systems that can expand. I know, isn't that a great picture? Look at her. Everybody's, oh, sorry guys, y'all are gonna have to take a trip over to San Francisco, take that picture with your fiance. She's like, I want that, we're gonna do that. Just say no, too far. But these trees are amazing trees because their root systems, even though they grow 400 feet high, which is like four times as high as a water oak, they stay, and they're hundreds of years old, they're able to withstand the wind, they're able to withstand floods, they're able to withstand all those things because they have incredible root systems. And those root systems will grow out hundreds of feet all around it, and it will intertangle and even, and sometimes merge with other roots. In fact, these trees can only exist in a grove of them because, because they need that root system connected to other trees that they hold one another up when those things happen so, that they, so when the storms come, that's not just one tree's root system, but it's the trees in the grove's root system connected together that's keeping them up. And when I think about when Paul is talking about praying, hey, stay rooted, be rooted together in Christ, that's what he's talking about because when the winds and the storms come in your life, and you're rooted together, you can pick one another up. You can be expressions of God's love to one another at those moments. But if you're like the water oak and you're not connected to one another, God is just a pursuit between you and not in, and not in community, then you're gonna fall over and make a giant mess. See, when we experience the love of God together, we get even a, a greater picture of God's, what God's love is. Look at what he says. He says, hey, I pray that y'all, rooted together, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and depth of God's love. What is he saying? He's saying that God's love is too big to be understood individually, but must be understood together. That as we live together, do life together, we get pictures of God's love to one another. That's the difference between a Christian community and any other community you're gonna find. It's the transformational power of God working in your life and working in others' lives to show God's love to you. In fact, the word fellowship means, it, it, it means this in Greek, it means this word carries the idea of a group of people that have been, that has something so deeply in common that it binds them together. You know what binds us together? It's the love of God. And Paul expressed it in Ephesians 1 where he says, you are adopted as children into the kingdom of God together. And you can't miss that picture of what adoption means. Because adoption in the ancient world wasn't like you just go online and, and go through a bunch of paperwork and get a kid. Adoption worked like this. If you adopted someone, you could never, ever, ever turn them away. In the ancient world, if you had a kid and they were disobedient, you can kill them. You can send them off. You can say, hey, I can't, you don't get any of your inheritance. And the point, the principle was this, that like you don't choose your kids, but if you adopted them, you did choose them, you know? And so when Paul tells us that we are adopted children of God, it means that the love of God looked at you and looked at me and saw all of our history and saw all of our mess and said, I wanna be binded with that person forever. And I'm gonna bind them together. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's the love of God. And in the context of being in relationships together as people of God, God uses those relationships to display the love of God through, others, through those other relationships. Because when I'm in relationship with you, 
I have an opportunity to serve you. I have an opportunity to see you sin, get hurt. And I have the opportunity to be the love of Christ, the picture of the love of Christ to you. One of the greatest examples of that in my life was three years ago when my wife and I miscarried our baby. I never even met the child, but I can't tell you how difficult and how much pain we felt in that moment. But I could also tell you this, that the love of God was never more evident because of the people that loved us, that loved Jesus, that came and cared for us, that circled around us, that prayed for us, that walked through that with us. The love of God was an absolute evidence in my life. That's not a place where the love of God should be. That story should just be about tragedy. But God's love surpasses, surpasses knowledge and understanding. You know where there's another place that finds out? It's when we confess sin to one another. Because when I tell you the darkness that's in my heart and you don't run away from me and reject me, but you show grace and you pray for me and you walk with me and stick by me, you're a picture of God to me about what he does with me. Isn't that true in your life? When you finally just lay it out and it's all seen and you see someone hug you and say they love you and they're for you and they're with you, that's a picture of God. It's a picture of his love being expressed through that person to you to remind you of God's love. And it can only be expressed when we're in relationship with one another, when we're rooted together. See, guys, when we are, when, when God makes our heart, makes us, when God is at, is at home in our heart, and we're rooted together in love, and we see the love of God in one another and how we treat one another, the result is the fullness of God resting in us. The fullness of God, meaning that you would bubble over with the character, value, comfort, and fruits of knowing him as you try to comprehend the love of God, continually worshiping him over and over and over again. And then this is the last sentence, the sentence. Because as many of us sit there go, okay, that sounds great, Ernie, that sounds like a fairy tale, but this is what he has to say to us. He says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. And as the band comes up, I want you to hear this last sentence because this is the last sentence. This is what he's saying. He's saying, praise God, he can do it. Look at it, verse 20. If you were to paraphrase it, this is what Paul's saying. Listen to me, God can do it. Whatever brokenness is in your life, whatever difficulty is in your life, whatever thing you think you can't put back together is in your life, God can take care of it. Why? Because there was a time when they didn't know, when man didn't, when the cross wasn't there and man was like, how are we gonna make up the distance between me and you because you're holy and I'm full of sin? How are you gonna deal with this God? And he dealt with it on the cross because there was a time where there was Jew and there was Gentile and like, how are you gonna make us one people? And he did. There was a time, guys, where you were broken and you were lost and you were without hope and you are dead in your sins 
And what you need to remember is this, is that he can do it, that he can do above all, beyond all, he can, excuse me, able to do above all and beyond all that we ask and in, with accordance to the power of his work within us. And the only response that makes sense is worship. That's the only response that makes sense. So as the, big, the band begins to play, look at the last verse. To him, this should be the song of our life. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. That God, what you have done in my life, what you've done in my community, what you will do in my life and what you will do in my community, I am praising you because you are capable, able, and wanting to do it in my life. So Lord, I wanna be transformed by you and you will transform me. I just need to tune my ears to who you are and what you're calling me to be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much that uh, you desire not to just change a little bit about us, not just to work in our lives just a little bit, God, but you desire to transform us and that we would experience the fullness of who you are and that you are calling us not not to rules to follow, but to follow your love, to be, to be moved by your love, to be, as we try to comprehend of all the ways that you love us, Lord. I just think, God, I just ask right now, as these men and women are sitting right here, that they would begin to take account of all the things that you have done, of all the ways that you've loved them, all the people you've used to love them. Lord, if there's bitterness in their heart towards others in this room, God, I just ask that they would just remove that, that they would lay it aside. It's a weight that is stopping them from experiencing the joy of Christ, that they would forgive that person and they would forgive you, even though you don't, you don't need, you didn't even wrong him, but they would just let it go. And Lord, in this moment, they would remember the people that you placed in their life. You remember the things that you've done. They would remember the cross. And it would lead their heart to song, to sing of your goodness, your amazingness, your love. We love you, Jesus. And it's for your glory and your kingdom we pray. Amen.